But if you ask anyone who has seen their cases 10 years on, which I have, the mentality changes a little bit. Uh, I, I'm very, I do not select composite resin because they are cheaper modality. I tell patients that look, in the long run, they will cost you the same as porcelain. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. Hello, Petrus Rati. I'm Jazz Galati, and welcome back to the big one. This is going to be the big one because we've built you up from part one to part two, and now this is part three. So if you remember, in part one, we talked about the mindset of that full mouth clinician, how to treat and plan and communicate to your patient. In part two, we looked at how to get a wax up and how that wax up might be different for an adhesive rehab compared to a conventional rehab, and then how to actually put that temporary in the patient's mouth and let them walk away with the temporaries in their mouth. And I'm very confident that already, just with part one and part two, you probably gained more value from some paid courses, okay? And something that me and Devang are very proud of. But in this part three, we really get into all the nitty gritty details, uh, particularly sequencing. So now you have your patient temporaries, they've approved it, they want this treatment, you want to do this treatment, uh, and the patient's suitable and everything's ready to go. But how do you actually sequence it. Do you do the upper arch first, the lower arch first? When do you do the posteriors? How do you do the posteriors? So all those things will be covered in this episode. I truly believe that when a dentist moves away from single tooth dentistry, at some point along that journey, sequencing is discussed. And I think when a dentist starts to think about sequencing, that is a sign. Like, it's like in Karate Kid, you know, wax on, wax off. Like, and suddenly Mr. Miyagi thinks that, okay, now this kid has got it, right? I do believe in our journeys, when you start thinking about sequencing, it's kind of like that, you know, wax on, wax off moment. Okay, now you get it. You, I mean, okay, maybe you don't get it, but you're thinking in the right direction. So welcome to the world of sequencing for those who haven't considered sequencing before. This is a, a big step in your journey. It's a step that I'm learning more and more about uh, and it's great to have guests on like De Devang to, to sort of share his nuggets and his principles. And of course, different dentists around the world will do it differently in, when it comes to sequencing. Uh, and before that used to piss me off, but now I appreciate the beauty because you might find the patient that is more amenable to Devang's way of doing it. And then you might find a patient who's more amenable to another dentist's way of thinking. Uh, and so if you learn all of these and appreciate the, the pros and cons, then you can apply it to your patients. To celebrate the fact that Splint Course has relaunched. This is my flagship course. I'm so proud of it. We've had over 400 delegates from 16 countries uh, and it's not even, it's almost a year old. So now it's been uh, tried and tested uh, by hundreds of dentists and they love Splint Course and I'm so proud of it. Uh, and so now we're opening the doors again to allow a new intake of delegates. This time, instead of opening the doors for two weeks, I'm just opening it for one week. I just want a uh, select few bunch who are going to be committed for 12 months of uh, support on Zoom, online, uh, and also on the, on the group. And I want you to learn and start implementing how to diagnose and manage bruxism and the correct appliance for the correct patient, when to refer, and how to manage all the nuances of splint therapy. So if that's something you're interested in, head on over to splintcourse.com to uh, enroll and join a community of dentists who want to do better for their patients who are in pain or you just want to protect the patients from the harmful forces of bruxism, especially if you do full mouth dentistry. So even Devang at the end of this episode, he you know, discusses that, okay, part of the protocol of doing full mouth dentistry is that you give an appliance because the same 
things that the patient did to destroy their own natural God-given evolution-given dentition, they will do to their uh, brand new restorations. It just seems too risky to give these patients uh, their restorations and rely on the ideal occlusion to protect that patient. It just doesn't make sense. The forces of uh, bruxism are severe. The pearl I'm sharing with you, you kind of need to access the protrusive dental community to see this video, basically. It's a video pearl, uh, and it was a live video my nurse was recording of me because I had this patient in who I've been seeing for almost two years now, one of the most severe bruxes ever, to the extent that he's now awaiting to have a full implant reconstruction, upper arch and lower arch. So quite a big job by one of my colleagues, but he has destroyed everything uh, and he's been a, a tricky patient to manage because he just comes in with these emergencies uh, and to, to stabilize him, we kind of need to go straight to those full arch implants. So there's no middle ground here. But for the first time he came in with a toothache, which wasn't a toothache. Uh, and eventually you'll see the process on how we did it. It was kind of like a diagnosis of occlusion. You do your usual, you know, listen to history, anything hot and cold, no, hot and cold doesn't give any pain. You do a radiograph, it looks fine. There's no apical pathology, no teeth are tender to tapping, right? And then you figure out from the history that the pain doesn't happen when the patient's chewing. It happens just after the patient has finished a meal and it intensifies. And when you get the patient to point to their source of pain with one finger, they don't point to one tooth, they point all over. So he was pointing to his head, down to his neck, to his ear, right? And these are the clues that the diagnosis was not a simple toothache. It was non-odontogenic. It was myofascial pain with referral. Uh, and then there's certain criteria we use, uh, uh, research diagnostic criteria in TMD, when we're diagnosing myofascial pain referral, you have to sort of, uh, when you palpate the muscles and the trigger points, it elicits a pain. Uh, and then you have to ask the patient, okay, um, is this pain a familiar pain? And if they say uh, yes, then you say, okay, familiar to what? And then the, the main thing is that they say, oh, it's the pain for which I am seeking care for. It's the pain for which I am seeking care for. That is the so gold standard way to diagnose someone who's having the pain from muscles referring to the head and neck structures. So uh, there's a video of me palpating muscles, coming up with this diagnosis, just giving you a little bit of like a insight into how um, uh, we diagnose these things on the clinic. So if you wanna check that out, go to Protrusive Dental Community. I'll tag the video for the next couple of weeks as an announcement so you can see that. Uh, and I hope you find value from that. So you may be able to uh, think the next time you have a toothache, which doesn't sound like a toothache, you can actually can take a step back and consider that could be myofascial pain. Right guys, no more rambling. Let's join Devang Patel on part three of Adhesive Full Mouth Rehabs. Deb, welcome back to part three of Adhesive Full Mouth Rehabs. It's been a, a real journey in the, in the previous two episodes and uh, this is this is the really the nitty gritty, the, the sexy occlusion stuff coming up now. You know, we've done the mock-up and whatnot, we've done the mindset stuff and now we're gonna talk about the how to get that wax up into the mouth, the different techniques, the uh, how do we control the occlusion, the left and the right, and so we're coming on to that. And I'm just gonna do a quick recap. Uh, I'm gonna, appointment zero was a mindset for full mouth uh, dentistry. Appointment one, was the comprehensive evaluation. It, it, it was like a checkup and uh, and you, you sort of screen the patient who's suitable. Then appointment uh, 1A, you bring the, uh, the patient back and you do a full mouth assessment, some treatment planning, decide are you gonna conform, are you gonna reorganize? In most of these cases, you're reorganizing. Appointment two was record taking. We talked about uh, Facebook, CR records. Then we talked about your mock-up technique uh, and how you've guided the, the, the technician and you're doing four to four. You've sent them home with the four to four mock-up uh, and then when they've come back, you reviewed the mock-up. You're checking how it looks. You're checking the occlusion. So now we're on to appointment five, which is you're building up the upper and lower uh, three to 
to three. Uh, that's where we are at the moment. So uh, take it away. Okay, so now I just want to divide um, two next steps into two, and we're going to discuss about the adhesive composite buildup. But you need to understand the indirect steps for the indirect build, uh, treatment as well. So the the steps for the if you're doing a composite buildup, direct or uh, indirect, using some sort of a you know stent or something, will be you uh, for me at least will be uh, building upper and lower three to three and stabilizing the posteriors and then building the posteriors either one side at a time or one arch at a time. We'll go into detail in a minute. So it's pretty simple uh, for adhesive. And you can explain by what you mean by stabilizing the posteriors, right? Yes, I will. Yes. So so. It's pretty simple or straightforward. But if you're doing indirect, let's say we're doing all the crowns uh, for upper and lower jaw, uh, complete indirect full mouth reconstruction, traditional type, then it becomes much more complex. So by this time, if I'm doing indirect, restora indirect restorations, patient would have full mouth provisionals. Okay, and we discussed about, uh, you know, in we were, we were actually chatting, the provisional, the way I'd make provisional is I don't ask pay, a technician to do, do anything. I would have a wax up of the area where I'm going to do the provisional. So let's say I'm doing four to four provisionals. Then I would prep the teeth, use the wax up to make chair side provisional. But what I would have done is after prepping, I would have taken impressions just without retraction cord or anything, just impression, nice impressions. So the technician can make me a lab side temporaries as well. So on the day patient goes with my chair side temporaries, a couple of days or a week later, the lab temporaries come back and I'll fit that in. Because I find having a shell temporaries and a shell maze, it's just too much faff. I've used them and at least it doesn't work in my hand that quickly. So I would just, I'd, I don't bother with that. I would just make a provisional chair side, fit them in. And then my, my experience of shells has also been quite traumatic, but, but yes, uh, I, I, some people get it really right. Or a chair side once, a lab once. Yeah, so, so I think that it works really well because patient uh, technician then has a real prep teeth to, to, to work on. So it can give me a good marginal fit and everything. So I would, I would, I would do that. So, so patient will, by the time we are thinking about finalizing everything, patient would have had a full mouth provisionals and that could take number of appointments i don't do all pro provisional in one appointment usually i would do four teeth at a time maybe um so I'll, I'll, it'll take me a lot of time to do that once the provisional is done i would then do the anterior three to three final rest of the whole mouth will be provisional anterior three to three in final crowns okay then again, once I just want to clarify, we are talking here about the indirect. Indirect, way, right? this, so this is indirect. Uh, so the direct is pretty easy. So remember, guys, we're talking about the indirect protocol. Yeah, this is indirect. So the the direct protocol is very easy. We're talking about indirect protocol, where everything's temporary crowns in indirect protocol because you're going to do crowns or onlays or some sort. Uh, so you've got temporaries everywhere. Then you're going to do lower anterior three to three. Finalize them using porcelain crowns or on or crowns basically or veneers. At this point, you still have full flexibility because if you want to adjust anything, you can still have all the provisionals in the mouth. You can adjust. I'm not adjusting at this point my finals. So let's say my final comes and the bite is slight off. I can adjust the upper provisionals to, to get the occlusion right. Okay. So you still have ability at this stage to increase the OVD if you want. Okay. But hopefully you would have figured it out in a provisional stage. Once that's done, 
my priority my preference would be to then do the posteriors uh, up, uh, lower posteriors so lower right and left both you can do together if you want or you can do one side at a time doesn't matter to get this occlusal plane flat okay so I would do lower posterior final then I would move on to the upper uh, upper um, posterior final and now you locked the occlusion and then I would do the uh, upper anterior okay so the uh, but you so lower anterior sorry, uh, lower posterior upper posterior no no upper no anterior. sorry upper anterior and then upper posterior so again lower anterior okay lower posterior upper anterior upper posterior having said that if you want to swap if you want to do lower anterior then upper posterior upper anterior and lower posterior you can still do that but that's it's a completely different ball One game. pragmatic question I have for you straight away is when you fit your lower anterior crowns or veneers uh, and then you maybe have to do a bit of adjustment of your upper provisionals, are you then taking an impression or a scan to send to the lab so that when they actually make the definitives of the upper, they're going to now copy your slightly adjusted uh, temporaries? Uh, no, because to be honest, I'm going to, I mean, you can do that. For me, I'm going to take them out, mount them, and redo them anyway. So the, the lab is only using the shape of the incisal edge, incisal length, and the bulk of the buckle as a copy, which I'm not going to change most of the time. It's just the palatal, which is occlusion. So I don't really bother taking another impression because we're going to remount the models anyway. So patients, you know, I'll, I'll get the occlusion right. So no, I, I don't, but you can At do that. At any point, have you had to redo the face bow as well? Every single step, yeah. <laughs> so every single time I'm doing indirect, wow. I would do Facebook, new impressions and everything. So it becomes a, a lot of big stretcher. So so that's what I'm saying indirect is completely different ballgame than, than doing a direct composite or doing any composite, right? Because you have a, you can adjust things a little bit in the mouse. You can polish really well. Uh, and it's but a bit more forgiving than, than doing a, in restoration porcelain. You're spot on. With composite, you really do get to use the patient's mouth as the articulator, as we discussed so much in episode one and two of this series. Uh, whereas with indirect, you're relying, uh, you don't want to do as much adjustment of your ceramic, your glazed ceramic. So therefore, you don't get the opportunity to use the mouth as an articulator as much as you can do with composite, which is why when you're starting out with rehabs, just like the reason why we're recording today, uh, Dev, is when you're starting out with rehabs, adhesive is a great way yeah. to learn. 100%. I would I would recommend starting with adhesive full mouth reconstruction because it will take away a little bit the fear of what if something goes wrong because you know it is more more forgiving it's not completely forgiving which means you know you can't go back to zero but it's much more forgiving so I would personally start with uh, adhesive reconstruction having said that you know any full mouth reconstruction you need to be really good at doing single tooth dentistry and that's why um, when I actually I've, I started posting more and more on social media and uh, if you're not following me then you know please follow me and you'll have some more information but, please do some great content and and I started with, with with posting single to dentistry started posting single edge bonding and people like oh but you do full mouth reconstruction why are you posting I said look you know what I want people to understand that they need to be really good at doing single to dentistry in order to do the full mouth reconstruction you can't have a rubbish because you will have if you do rubbish one tooth you're going to do rubbish 28 teeth and you do full mouth reconstruction so you need to you need to be comfortable doing a uh, single tooth dentistry and again you know when i teach i teach full, uh, single tooth dentistry as well as full mouth reconstruction so when i do courses of full mouth reconstruction 
I would teach good single tooth dentistry because I know that that's the foundation to do full mouth reconstruction. Okay, so um, once, once I've, we've done all that, make sure that uh, now we are at, at the stage where we're building upper and lower three to three. Okay, so that's composite build-up now. So, so from we're now making a transition on, now back to direct. We're making a transition back to adhesive now, guys. Yes. So, uh, Dev very kindly spoke about the indirect protocol to give you a bit more value from all this series. So look at that, you know, adhesive, but he's also giving you some structure for indirect. But let's go back now. Put your frame of mind back to adhesive. Yeah, so now all the steps are adhesive, which is composite, direct, or indirect build-up steps, okay? So now we're building front teeth, upper and lower, with direct composite, right? So, um, well, composite. So when we're building upper and lower three to three, you have two options. Well, three options. You can do direct buildup using composite. You can do indirect buildup. You can do semi-direct buildup. Are you enjoying the Protrusive Dental Podcast? Well, allow me to deliver you even more value. You can now download the iOS or Play Store app for free. Just search Protrusive on your app platform. Now, if you're a true Protrusive and you want to support the podcast, you want to claim CPD for all the listening and watching that you do, you want to get access to exclusive clinical walkthrough videos to make dentistry tangible, as well as a premium newsletter, access to the Protrusive Vault, and the ability to download all the clinical videos and podcast videos so you can view them offline later, you can get all of that for less than 15 tax-deductible dollars per month. So what are you waiting for? Download the Protrusive app now on iOS or Android for absolutely nothing. We work so hard on this Protrusive team and I know you're just going to love it. Now back to the main episode. Okay, so if you're doing direct build-up, you, you can use freehand technique, which I wouldn't recommend. You can use putty indices from your wax up and use that to create uh, incisal edges of the lowers. So I always start with the lower first, even if it's the same appointment I'm doing both. I'll start the lower in, uh, incisors first, so I'll use putty indices for lower if I want to. You can use something called memosil, which is um, bluish material which you can cure through. But I prefer Exaclear, which is a GC product, which is amazing. Um, so once I started so using that, I don't go back. You know, that's the that's the product I use for for making my indices. Mm -hmm. So Exaclear uh, I use for making the indices for for the incisal buildups. Or if I'm going to do palatal buildup, then I can use. And if it's not too thick, then I can use a single sort of uh, buildup. So put the put the composite or edge bond prime edge prime bond the uh, palatal aspect and I use OptiBond FL for all my bonding um, because that's, I feel that that's, that gives me the best result and composite onto the stent I put some composite onto the tooth as well because I do, if, if I'm going to have an air gap I want that between the material rather than material and the tooth so I would put composite mm -hmm. on the tooth and on the indices and then squeeze the indices um, to get to get the the the, the stand. If it's quite big, uh, build up on the palatal shelves, then you can put a little bit composite, cure it, uh, put a little bit composite, put a stent on it, uh, take it out, make sure it's not really uh, going to anywhere else, cure it, and then you build an increment using the stent by using like a stamp technique. So you just stamp it and make sure that. But you're doing a one tooth at a time here because I can imagine I'm doing, doing multiple teeth. I'm doing three teeth. Here at a time so I'm doing alternative teeth okay so the way I would do sure. that is I would 
putty, uh, putty, I would put PTFE tape on alternative teeth and I would etch bond cure uh, the alternative teeth and then start building up alternative teeth. So three, three teeth at a time, okay? Lower teeth to start with and then the upper teeth. With regards to indirect, again, we're not talking about indirect today, but you could use crown veneers, you know, all sorts of gold backing for the indirect. Or if, it's, if you're not really comfortable building palatal, because that's where people are a bit more uh, uncomfortable building the palatal sort of a shelves using direct technique, you can ask technician to build the composite indirect shells and you can just bond it like veneers okay um, with the composite heated composite that's what I use for if I'm bonding them okay the semi-direct would be approach would be composite on the palette and porcelain veneer on the buckle aspect and um, mm -hmm. I, if, you, if you listen to Francesca Valetti um, who talks about that technique as a sandwich technique which I which I think is a little bit confusing because we also, in UK, we talked about sandwich technique being posterior when you're destroying molar, you have GIC and then composite on top. We call it as a sandwich technique. So it's a, it's, I, would, I would call it a direct indirect technique. So that's how I would build a, a lower and upper three to three. Now there were two questions uh, you were asking. One was, can I do everything in one appointment? You don't need to. So if you're doing mm -hmm. lower build up, I mean, to me, it will take, if it's a good quantity of upper and lower, like a lot of build up, it would take me four, four and a half hours to do that. I'm slow. So, uh, and I'm doing all direct. I'm not using um, injection molding or smile fast technique. That's another two techniques you could potentially use. To be mm -hmm. honest, I don't have much Absolutely. experience with them. And so I can't really recommend long-term result. And people who have got long-term data, they don't have 10 years data on them. So, so I, mm -hmm. I, I'm not sure, but you could use them if you want to. I could just do an input here and say that um, having used for, for some um, significant wear cases uh, using uh, a full mouth uh, adhesive rehabilitation, uh, I've used both uh, injection molding and SmileFast. And, you know, it's just pick your poison, right? These are just techniques, tools. Uh, it's all about the planning that you do beforehand. So I don't get too hung up on which way I'm doing it. But having done a few SmileFast cases, um, you know, that four and a half, because I'm like you, I'm slow. For me, that four and a half hour appointment can become uh, a three hour appointment. So I do save a little time, but then you're paying a little bit more lab fee as well. So it kind of works out, you know, um, it doesn't have to be system specific. You should experiment. Yeah, you can't do You can't do incisal in enamel. You can't really use different shades and everything as far as I believe. Um, so, yes. so, you know, if I'm not doing buckle veneer, I would want upper incisor to to, to look a little bit better so to, by doing a little bit uh, different incisal um, coloring and stuff having said that i've restored lots of cases with just one shade composite and they look quite good because the composites improved massively nowadays so and i use genial i mean i don't get any kickbacks from them but i they support me for my courses obviously but um they are really mm. good material genial is amazing so i really love it um and if you're using single shade, I'm, I'm a huge uh, genial fan i just remembered a quote uh, from james baker that i want to share with you well, james baker, uh, yes. is um comp uh, composite is is a bit like um uh, being married to a supermodel composite is a bit like being married to a supermodel sometimes you forget how good looking they can be <laughs> Hundred <laughs> percent. Well, James' compasses are really good looking. I know that. Um, so he's fantastic. He's, he's amazing guy. So with regards to um, build up, so these are the techniques you can use. 
Um, if I can't do everything in one appointment, if patients like, um, I can't sit for that long, and if I'm not sure, then I would book patient next back to back. So uh, if, if I'm seeing patient on Monday, I'll book patient on Tuesday so that I can do the upper reconstruction. That means I don't need to worry about too much provisionalism, provisionizing stuff. So I would have pre-planned both appointments, but I want those three to three done pretty quickly, rather within one or two appointments within two days, basically. Hi guys, it's just Jazz interfering again with a really important message. Like, have you ever done teeth whitening for someone and the patient messages you or calls up or comes to your clinic upset because now they have these white patches on their teeth? At least two of you have shown me on Instagram uh, some, me some messages from patients that really concern you as a dentist because you weren't expecting these white patches to appear on teeth. Now, this is a, I wouldn't say a common phenomenon, but when this happens, when you start teeth whitening, it can be scary for the patient and it can be worrying for the dentist. So I have my buddy, Payman Langrudi, to discuss all about this uh, in this couple minute message, which I think is gonna give you so much value if this has ever happened to you before, or if it's never happened to you, you probably haven't done enough teeth whitening and it's gonna happen to you. So why don't we learn about the techniques to make sure that you are well prepared to A, warn the right patient that this could happen, and B, to reassure them because it's something that's not permanent. I'm going to go into that in a moment. And I just want to take a moment to say thank you to Enlighten Smiles for sponsoring this podcast, this episode. As we know, Enlighten is the premium brand of whitening and it's so great to have their support and to be aligned with them. So let's head on over to Payman Langrudi to talk about these white patches for a couple of minutes before we rejoin the main podcast. There are something like 28 causes of white and brown spots. And so you can't tell by looking at it whether it's uh, mainly a hypo or a hypercalcification that's caused that white spot. And those two things are very different. So when, when the peroxide comes across hypocalcification, it does cause chalkiness. When it comes up against hypercalcification, it doesn't cause chalkiness. And it's harder to get through that area. So you can't, the, the basic point is you can't predict which white or brown spot will go chalky, but you need to predict, tell the patient that there's a possibility that any of them might. So that, that starts off with actually noticing that there are white spots, you know, paying attention to that, pointing them out to the patient. And then if, if the, the, re, the situation you brought up is actually very common, in that often if it's a hypocalcification, very quickly those areas go chalky. Often whitening is the first thing you do in a treatment plan. And so you've got a patient who's not really being treated much by you already. And the first thing that happens is, is something like that. And the key to it is to inform them that that might happen. And then, then when it happens, you look like an expert. Uh, and you know, it's often missed, that pe people miss white spots, or maybe they see them, but they don't tell the patient about them. So I think the key message is just, just inform your patient that any white or brown spot could go chalky. Now, what happens next, the vast majority clear up by themselves. You know, definitely within the, the rehydration period, which is a two, three week period. So two, three weeks after the end of, even home whitening will de dehydrate teeth a little bit. Most of them will then clear up. If they don't, for me, I think microabrasion first before resin infiltration. I've had much more success doing it that way around. For me, there, there are brown spots that bleaching will turn into white spots. Then microabrasion can reduce them. Then Icon can delete them. But the opposite way around doesn't really work. If you go, Icon doesn't mm. reduce something that microabrasion might, might delete. So for me, the right order is bleaching first, consent the patient. If you can see white or brown spot, consent them for microabrasion, uh, resin infiltration, or even composite restorations. And then if you need to, so tell the patient, look, if you're after perfection, 
one or more of those may come into play. I can't tell you which one or any of them until we've done the bleaching first, because bleaching will often delete things by itself. So once I've done that, I will check the occlusion because it's adhesive, polish everything nicely, make sure the occlusion's there, uh, canine guidance and protrusive guidance using the, the incisors, canine guidance using canine, and make sure you have the space you wanted for posterior, right? Because sometimes you start grinding the teeth down, that means you are reducing the OVD. So initially you would have increased the OVD to have the nice posterior onlays done, and now you're grinding the teeth to get the context better and you're increase, decreasing the OVD. So just be careful when you're doing any adjustment that you're not doing going over the board. Uh, I would rather add something to it so then you've got a bit more OVD than reduce it. Okay, so you can never mm, have enough mm, OVD, you know, you can never have enough space, especially for technician if they're making anything indirect. If you're doing direct, then yes, you've got a little bit leeway for posterior. Okay. So, so mm -hmm. that's done. We're happy with that, you know, polished everything, patient's happy. Now we need to make sure that we, we stabilize the posterior teeth. Okay, you can't, because patients now got the occlusion on three to three. There's nothing, posteriors are in the air. Patient now has a dal composite in their mouth. Yes, exactly. So if you're going to do dal, perfect. You leave them as it is. If you're worried about them breaking things, then you can give a small SX retainer for just the anterior teeth to wear at night time. I don't tend to, um, you know, patient tolerate really well. If your occlusion is really good, they don't tend to break it. Uh, and and you, obviously your bonding needs to be Agreed. good. Uh, so they don't tend to break the, them because they're nice chunky composite, they're, they're you know, good strength in them. So I never, I don't usually bother, even if I'm doing dal, I don't bother giving them any sort of appliance. I just let them go uh, like that. If I'm, if I'm not doing dal, uh, then I would, which many times I don't, so the, I would use two techniques for the posterior stabilization, right? So you want to keep that space. That's the whole point. And give patient a little bit comfort because if, if there's some, something touching at the back, patient feels a little bit better than just the front teeth touching, okay? So mm -hmm. the easiest way to do that is you use your GIC glass iron or cement, put it right in the center of the occlusal surfaces of the upper or lower. I select lower because it's easier for me to use. Put Vaseline on the upper teeth, ask patient to close. Okay, so because your front teeth, your anterior teeth are nicely done, they will act as a stop and the posterior teeth will close mm -hmm. on your GIC, hopefully so touching the GIC, and that will then create, your GIC will act as a stop for the posterior. Okay, and nowadays GIC yeah. are really good. They last, you know, they will stay in there. Um, so I would put GIC there and close it. If you really want to be modern, you can spot etch, you can put a little bit bone, you can put some composite on there to get the stops, to get a bit more rigid stops, but GIC works really well, especially when you're going to remove them, you, you know where the tooth, where the GIC, you know, it's easy to distinguish rather than composite. H having previously used a composite for this, uh, I, I, I now regret not using GIC. I think that's a really great idea, actually. So actually, um, I would now use GIC. But um, any consideration to uh, GIC or it's a sexier, superior cousin, RMGIC? Um, no, I don't use RMGIC. I, 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 um, I know people use it. The way I thought was that it's best of, it's worse of both worlds, basically, RMGIC. So I tend to use, I tend to use normal Fuji 9 G, GC, obviously. Sure, sure. Um, it's really good product sure. um, and it works really well. I mean, I, I've treated patients, 
you know those patients who who, who come to you with so many caries and you just not sure where to start you put remove all the caries put GICs in them I, I mean I tend to I mean, I was quite sad, so I used to carve my GIC using a small fine burst and make sure nice. And they stayed like that for like eight years because some patients just go, right? So they, they don't have <laughs> enough money or anything to, to then have the full mouth done. And they come back and, you know, many of them are, most of them are intact. So GIC is good material, mm -hmm. although I still consider it as a, mm -hmm. as a, as a provisional or a temporary restoration. It's, it's a good material. They've they come course. quite far. So I put GIC at the back. And so what else? What else? You can use GIC. What else can you use? So, so this, the second thing I use, so I only do two techniques. GIC most of the time for adhesive composite ones, most of the time GIC. The second way you could do that is um, if you have had done full mouth, re, full mouth wax up, you can take indices of the wax up of the posterior teeth and put bisacryl in there and uh, put those posterior on there. So you need to do upper and lower obviously and, and shrink fit like, like we did on a mock-up stage. So you're going to do mock-up for the posterior teeth. For that, you need to make sure that mm, it, you have yeah. the full waxed up model. Okay. So if you if you have a full wax model, that's the, in this case, I'm, I'm thinking you'd be doing some little bit of etch and uh, spot etch, etch spot surface. In, in, in the areas. Occlusal surfaces, yes. I would yes. do spot etch mm -hmm. uh, at the back uh, because yeah. those provisional will stay there for some time uh, because I want to make sure that I'm assessing the occlusion. The problem with them, in my experience, is that patient doesn't have freedom sometimes to move their jaw. And provisionals are not going to be, you know, because it's shrink-fitted and all that. It takes first of a lot of time to adjust the occlusion if they're off the occlusion. And also you can cause some time because you haven't seated the putty properly or whatever, uh, posteriorly, some sort of a non-working side contacts or some interferences. So then they're not completely relaxed. Whereas if I'm giving them occlusion just anteriorly, when, they, when I see them for review in two weeks time, they're nicely relaxed because they're just nicely gliding mm. on their front teeth. GIC is literally just flat. So, you know, there's not doing anything any much. Uh, so again, if, if, if any of the tooth is poking into the GIC, I would make sure that I would cut the GIC so the only tip of the tooth is touching. I don't want posterior teeth mm -hmm. to interlock into the GIC. I want them to be nice so that patient can glide on top of the GIC. They're just occlusal stops. Exactly. So it's like, a, from it's like you, you know, you're doing Michigan splint. You want just a point contacts. You don't want like an indents into the splint. Exactly the same concept. Great, great comparison. And that's why, I mean, if, if someone wants to do full mouth reconstruction, learns to do the Michigan splint. If you learn to do Michigan splint, you will learn so many principles. You will, you will be quite uh, comfortable adjusting things uh, because, you know, when you do restoration, if you need to adjust, mm. you need comfortable adjusting things. So if you want to, and that's why when I start teaching full mouth reconstruction, I teach Michigan splint first. And not because I'm, you know, that's the best splint or anything, but it just gives you a occlusal concept. You know, patient, the dentist learn the occlusal concept, which you then going to transfer into your full mouth reconstruction. So my first two days hands on is splint course. And they're like, oh, we're here to learn full mouth mm -hmm. reconstruction. Mm -hmm. so, you know, by the time we finish, you will know it's why we started from here. On acrylic. <laughs> not it, it, not yeah. the last step. Last step is to give Michigan Splint, but we start the first because they need to know that. Fantastic. Does that make sense? Brilliant. Absolutely. Perfect. So so then so, so, we so, finished so, with the with the 
with the appointment number five. You've got the posterior stabilized now. So either you've gone the GIC way or the bisacral way. You've got the anteriors beautifully built up, Deb, upper and, uh, upper and lower. You've got the posterior stabilized at that second visit. Yeah. Uh, how long are you waiting for before you now convert the posteriors to your uh, composites, either direct or indirect? Four weeks, usually, because that takes the occlusion patient to get used to with everything, making sure patient's happy with it. Um, TMJ is fine with it, you know, patients relax. So around four to six weeks. I have done within two weeks, you know, because patients, some, you know, something's coming up, we need to build it quickly. But my preferred way to wait for four weeks because it's, it's important that we assess before we go with the posterior. Okay, so mm -hmm. so four weeks is the time, and then um, after. So, so now we're on appointment six, is that right? Yes, so appointment we built six. Lower, yeah, uh, three three. Uh, so and we're on appointment six. Appointment now. six is before four. So uh, the, the next buildup is before, but I will see patient in two weeks time or a week time, depending on how quickly I need to do the polishing if I haven't finished everything. So I'll see patient in two weeks time to review it. To make sure occlusion's fine, patients not you know the CS not change, I mean, patients bites not changed since I've since I've done the reconstruction, and then see them again in two weeks time. So I'll see them two times um, in that four weeks uh, for reviews. Okay, within that two times, uh, the second time if everything's fine, I would take impressions and I would mount models because now inevitably things change a little bit. Okay, so from your first vaxer. Then I would mount the model and I'll ask technician. This time mounting model is easy because everything's ICP kind of, because everything's touching, you know, you don't need to do as you're going to think. Facebook, upper lower impressions, done. Uh, if you think the posterior um, GIC is not holding very well, then you can put small bite registration, but usually you can locate model really well, hand articulate. So Facebook, and do a, do a upper lower impression, ask patient technician to mount the model. And then I would ask technician to do alternative teeth wax up. Okay, so I'm building, if I'm, let's say I'm building four, five, six, seven, I would ask technician to build four and six, duplicate the model and then build, you know, on the same model, build five and seven. So the second model will have all the teeth built up, but the first model will have only two teeth build up alternatively. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Because mm -hmm. this will help yep. Yep. in the appointment number seven a lot. Okay, so so this time. is, uh, I mean, this will save you time. I know, you, and, and you can you can include the cost of second max up again in patient's mouth. If you're doing digital, it's even easier uh, to do that. Uh, you just need to click the buttons and print it, print the models. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's I'll, I'll do second, second wax up, which is very important for me. It makes my appointment number seven much, much quicker. Okay, so now uh, technicians got, uh, we, you've got two sets of model. One model has got alternative teeth. The second model has got all the teeth waxed up. Okay, so you've got two now, models. Are you doing just one quadrant now? Or are you doing a, a full arch now? So technician will wax up full arch, upper and lower everything mm -hmm. because you can build okay. them up one by one later on but because your occlusion is locked almost set now technician can now go on and do alternative teeth for upper lower right and left and then all the teeth for upper lower right and left posteriorly so you've got four models in total no still two models so first model 
what, 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 two for the upper and two for the lower, right? Every other tooth model for the upper and a full oh, model yes, for the yes, upper. Oh, uh, yes, every other tooth model yes. So not per jaw, but total four models. Yes. Uh, two for the lower, mm. two for the upper. So four models. Now appointment number seven. Uh, in seven, again, there are different ways you can build the posterior teeth. You can do direct, you can do indirect. But we're looking, we're talking about the direct right now. So indirect, uh, in, in the direct technique, my preferred method is using a stamp technique. So when I'm doing the GIC stops, I've intentionally not put GIC in between the teeth. So my GIC stops are going to be right in the middle of the occlusal surface. That means when technician has waxed up uh, alternative teeth, my, my indices will sit really nicely uh, using this in-between space of GIC really well. So mm -hmm. I'm going to make, um, again, Exaclear index. And one of, the, one of the struggle I had with Exaclear is very runny material. When you put a lot of Exaclear, mm -hmm. it just runs through the model. So what I tend to do is I would put a, a little bit Exaclear just to cover the occlusal surface, wait for that to set, um, and then I'll put more, because when you put just to cover the occlusal surface, it will roll over up to just, just droop yeah just drool a little bit but if you don't put too much if you put a little bit it will only drool for up to a couple of millimeter mm. on either side once that's done i would put more so i would build in layers okay so but i need my exactly really really, really thick okay i indices needs mm. to be thick if you can bend them then they're no good because when you push mm -hmm. them they will just flex and then the composite will go everywhere you'll get flat ish crown or your it won't uh, the flattish composite and it won't be as accurate as your mounting okay mm -hmm. so then i would build again h prime bond P ptfe on the teeth which i'm not building and i would in this in posterior teeth i would do one tooth at a time so in the sense that although i'm doing alternative teeth if i'm building four and six i'll build six first and then build four uh, separately I'll do one tooth at it. I don't want to do two teeth on posterior. One tip when, when you're doing that. When you're doing this, are you using rubber dam isolation or does the fact, because of the memesil, it makes it difficult to, to, yeah, to do that? Yeah, people uh, say uh, that actually. Clamps in the way. How do you uh, find I it? I have photos actually I can show you um, at some point, but I do use rubber dam. I know, Good. personally, I know that there is no evidence, at least even in my dentistry, where I've used rubber dam, where I haven't, they both worked superbly well but it just reduces my stress. When I'm putting rubber dam on, I can go for 100%. a tea break, <laughs> come back, and I know that yes. everything's going to the be the same. The patient go to a toilet break. Yeah. How many times a patient with a rubber dam on just gone for a toilet yeah, break and come back? Everything's same. Like, yeah, yeah, everything's same. So I, I prefer, that's the reason I prefer rubber dam, uh, not for scientific reason that it's going to, obviously it will hopefully help with bonding and everything, but there's no kind of scientific evidence per se to suggest that rubber dam helps. With that so i prefer rubber dam for 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 sake of uh, and that's why you can't use rubber dam if you're doing smile fast because you need your mm. your you know the, or, or injection molding you can't use rubber dam and, and you know if patients got a lot of saliva and everything it's very difficult to do that the best spirit. you could do is a split dam in those ways, but usually it just gets in the way. So usually um, in the anterior, an gate will be fine um, when you're using those other techniques. Yeah, gate is obviously just a cheek retractor, isn't it? So um, it just helps you uh, move the cheeks away. Mm -hmm. so, 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 so I would do number four, number six. Once I build them up, I would then number five and seven. So that whole arch is done. 
Number five and seven, so I'll, you, you'll have two indices per arch, per side you're building, yes. right? So the one indices for those alternative teeth using that model, and the other indices for, or, uh, for again, the other teeth using the final model. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. The one tip when you're using the stem technique is that you make sure that you are, your, your indices are not extending too much beyond your wax up buckle or lingually. That means that if the mm -hmm. wax up stops like one third of the buckle, you just stop a millimeter after the wax up beyond the wax up your indices so that it's easy to clean the, the excess away and excess comes out mm -hmm. easily as well. Really great trick. Okay, so mm -hmm. just make sure that it's not going right to the gingival circles, but otherwise you'll, you'll have a nightmare. And then, and then also it gives you space to put the rubber dam because if it goes all the way to the gingiva, yeah. your um, um, exocular index, then it, 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 the rubber dam will push it up. So, yeah, so you need to just go slightly beyond the wax up, just as you said. Yes, and, and obviously check the indices fits after you put the rubber dam as well, because otherwise you load everything and then the indices is not fitting. So, you know, making sure. Yep. I mean, yeah, here's a really good idea I just want to share. You probably do this already, but one thing that Harmi uh, Grewal taught me is that uh, when you're making your exoclear um, uh, on the model, your every other tooth or uh, the full arch, you put the rubber dam clamp you think you'll be using on the model. So now the rubber dam clamp is there as you're doing the exoclear so that it's less likely to interfere, right? Yeah. And, and obviously it's not going to be 100% accurate because the way that it will clamp in the mouth might be different because soft tissues, but it just gives you another little trick, little that's trick up your sleeve. So yeah, uh, nice. hat tip to, turban tip to uh, Harmi Grewal there. <laughs> that's very good. It's a good tip actually, I never thought of that. Uh, I just, uh, yeah, I, I, would, I would just cut it and, and then use it. Um, but yeah, it's a good tip, thank you. I'll try that next time. Um, so yeah, so I'll, I'll build them up and then uh, I would do, I personally prefer to do um, one arch, so I would prefer, as I said, to do lower arch first if I can, build up, and and then move on to the upper arch uh, later on, because then if I'm doing lower arch, then I'm getting a occlusal plane correct, uh, making sure that everything's fine, because for me, if the lower occlusal plane is right, then the upper will fall into place. Um, so the, so I, I prefer to do lower arch first, but I've done up one side at a time as well because it's just easy as well for patient because you, they got one side bite and then the other side is GICs. Does that make sense? So it doesn't really matter mm -hmm. too much uh, as far as you're comfortable that your wax is accurate and you're going to replicate that in patient's mouth. So I've done direct... So just to clarify, you're doing the right side at one appointment and the left side at another appointment. Yes, uh, but you can do lower arch in one appointment and upper arch in another appointment. Does that make sense? But sure. but, but for patient, sure. it's easier if you do one side at a time because they got bite, mm -hmm. nice bite on both sides. Yeah, um, I, like I like the idea of that. So, so, so I think that that's where we will we finish uh, with, the, with the reconstruction, take everything off, make sure everything's nice and tidy, patient's happy with it. Obviously, you can do direct build up directly, right? So you can do build up directly if, you, if you're really comfortable. And I've done that lots of cases doing that, um, but it's a STEM technique makes my life easy and I, I just don't like difficult 100%. life. <laughs> so so um, I like, like to make my life easy as much as I possibly can. Because someone was telling me about extractions, like I can extract a tooth using, you know, one force of one thing. I said, why, why make, you know, if something makes my life easy, I'll use that. I don't, I don't want to show the skills. You know? I want to be the dumbest dentist using the best tools and get the same result. You know, what's the point? <laughs> so, um, so do whatever as far as the end result is good, then that's fine. 
So once you so now you what get... you potentially have over the few appointments is you've got your complete um, rehabilitation done now because over two appointments you've done, you've done maybe the left side one appointment, the right side the other appointment. You've done your polishing. Uh, I find these interproximal sores really useful at, at these appointments to uh, any anywhere where the bond or the composite is joined together to, to clean away uh, interproximal polishing. I love using Eve Twist um, uh, polishes personally. My my preferred one. Uh, what kind of polishes are you using? I um, so I I use. Um, yeah, I've used a twist, which are, they are really good. So I've got different times, uh, different types of it. So if, the car does nice polishings, polishing burrs as well, composite polishing burrs. They, they, they wear off quite quickly, but they give really good polishing mm -hmm. uh, results. But I tend mm -hmm. to use um, Astra brushes, you know, the Astra, the, mm -hmm. uh, the golden ones. Uh, those polishing brush. Astra, uh, yeah, Astra brush. I, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, the, the, yeah, they've got a gold tint to them. Yes, and those one, those the, those are the one. Uh, they're uh, alumina impregnated bristles. I think uh, they are good mm -hmm. with the mm -hmm. with the white stone and the red. Uh, so the gross sort of a cleaning is done by using red striper burr, then the white stone, mm -hmm. and then the polishing within using Astra or some sort of a cup or something like that. Um, so that's. Mm -hmm. That's all done, um, and patients now. Now you assessed the occlusion, make sure everything's fine. Now um, I, I review that for a couple of appointments because things can change over the time. Review for a couple of appointments, and then maintenance. Maintenance phase would be to fit some sort of a protective appliance, um, which is for me it's Michigan Splint to start with. However, if I don't see any, if, if it's a patient with the erosive wear, there's no need to give them Michigan splint. I, I would give them a soft mouth. Low functional risk. Yeah, exactly. I would still give them some sort of mouth guard to make me feel happy. But, um, but you know, they don't <laughs> tend to wear anything and they, they're still fine. So, I mean, if you want to really assess the risks, which would be your first case, attrition case or erosive case, I would select erosive patient all night long, you can get really predictable results, very less complications than attrition patients. You know, there, there are things you need to be a bit more accurate. But again, technique-wise, adhesive versus indirect, sort of a composite versus indirect porcelain, start with composite, then, then move on to porcelain once you gain some experience and got some cases under your belt. Amazing, Dev. You have fully uh, blown us away with all these appointments. I'm just going to ask you a few more uh, micro steps. Then I want to hear about how we can learn more about uh, Full Mouth Rehabs uh, from you because you, know, you said you've got some courses and we're learning live stuff, online stuff. Before we come on to that, though, I just want to just uh, find out how long you tell your patients that this adhesive uh, rehabilitation will last uh, and what is in the contract in terms of, like, for example, when I do uh, bigger cases, I make it clear at the beginning that if you don't intend for at least one annual checkup uh, and some hygiene, then anything chips avoid, you're paying for it. But in the first year, anything, because you know I'm confident in my uh, sort of uh, diagnosis stuff, you know, any, any issues, I will be there for you. Uh, but you also need to do your part. Um, so what are you telling uh, the patient? Obviously, you were told him beforehand, but it's a good point now that you've described the, the, the process so beautifully and you're at the end now to describe the, the, the terms and conditions of this marriage. Okay, um, yeah. So basically, with regards to... Patient, I would have had this conversation, obviously, as you said, beforehand, before I've done all this. So I always tell patient that the composite, and again, I'm, I'm glad that you brought out this point because when I was young, when I was young, when I started my career, I did lots of composite veneers, right? So that's how you start because they're easy, cheaper. Patients say yes to composite quicker because they're almost half the price than the porcelain veneers. Um, 
you can less appointments, more control because I can control the anatomy, I can control the shade. Whereas if you send it to lab, depending on how good the lab is. So I did lots of composite veneers. But if you ask anyone who has seen their cases 10 years on, which I have, the mentality changes a little bit. Uh, I, I'm very, I do not select composite resin because they are cheaper modality. I tell patients that look, in the long run, they will cost you the same as porcelain because they need maintenance, things will chip, uh, you know, they need polishing, depending on your diet, things will stain because I do everything same for all my patients and sometimes some patient comes with staining every six months, I have got a patient and some patients come after four years and there is no staining, everything's fine, you know, it looks really amazing and it's not me, it's patients, so, so I've, I've taken photos and I would show them to my patients before I start the treatment say look this is one patient this is another patient I'm the one done the treatment for both of them within a few months like that so it's not that my skills changed and they're both showing different results because it depends on your diet your hygiene what you do so I'm always going I'm always telling them to take responsibility of what happens in their mouth rather than blaming towards yourself okay so that's very very important mm -hmm. ask them to take responsibility I would, uh, I, I tell them, I've, I've tested different guarantees um, and in my experience, it has made no difference to my uptake, okay? So what I tell patient is that I would guarantee for a year, if any chips or breaks or anything, I'll fix them. And then after that, you need to maintain it. If something happens, you need to pay for it. Um, I don't expect this to be with, with composite, they look the best on day one when you do it and then it's downhill now depending on how good composite you've done the curve of that downhill curve could be quite flatter and then you know gradually going down if you've done a really bad job then after a month it just starts going really steep downhill so i would tell patient that five years is 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 the time you need to expect from these things uh, and you may need some touch up some refurbishment afterwards uh, whereas veneers, I would tell them around eight to 10 years. Uh, the difference is that, again, 10 years experience has shown me that, you know, if I have a space and if uh, I'm not damaging the tooth too much by doing veneers, porcelain veneer, I always prefer porcelain because it's less maintenance, mm -hmm. less maintenance, you know, from patient and everything. It's just much easier, uh, much, much, much clean. So for me, it's not really cheap how cheap it is. The composite is how much damage I'm going to do to the tooth in order to, because if I'm adding a lot of wax, then porcelain veneer, all you need to do is just make a margin and you, you can stick a veneer in there. Uh, it's not a big deal. So uh, with regards to composite buildups for posteriors, um, I, I for posterior onlays, I, I, I use something called, um, Bell glass only, which is a very old technique, which is a second generation composite from Kerr. Um, and Pascal Manier used to use it before, now he's moved on to composite blocks, and which I'm, I'm also moving on to composite blocks. But most of my 10 year old cases are using those onlays and they work perfectly fine. The really rare properties are so good that they, they look really good. So for me, so that's what I tell patients. So they need to maintain their hygiene, uh, six monthly hygienist, yes checkups six monthly checkup and i give them one year guarantee does that help you thank you so much for that and uh, that helps a lot and then just to um say the the, the problems i've seen from colleagues uh, and from myself when i've made a, a mistake is when 
in my planning of composite, I did not respect the material thickness that it needs. So I find when I've had posterior chipping or my colleagues have had posterior chipping is because in that area, over a cuspal um, tip, there was only 0.5 millimeters composite in that area. So uh, I, I think the, the thicker the composite, the, the better it can handle the stresses. We know that composite is very good and compressive. And to minimize the tensile load by, by building in and dialing in your canine guidance and make sure it's nice and smooth, that will obviously uh, improve the longevity. So uh, respecting the material thickness and also the idea occlusal scheme is why you're getting so much success as well Dev uh, in that so it's worth mentioning that please tell us Dev where can we learn more from you oh uh, so I have uh, if you can go to my website which is drdevangpatel.com I have various courses there I have a full math reconstruction online course so I have a pathway to full math reconstruction okay because I want all general dental practitioners to be able to offer a full mouth reconstruction treatment to their patients, at least the adhesive full mouth reconstruction. For that, obviously, they need to make sure that their single tooth dentistry is good, which I am going to, I, I include that as well in my course. So the level are that there is an online course which describes everything what I've discussed today, plus a lot more. It's around 20 hours worth of online lecturing and on practical oh, demonstration wow. of all the procedures. So it's practical demonstration of all the procedures. And... Um, and, and it covers everything from start to finish. Then if, and my aim is to make sure that when someone does online course, they start doing some sort of a, if a single arch dentist or something just by doing online course. So that's how I made my online course. However, we are hungry people. So, you know, if someone wants to really get into nitty gritty and do a hands-on course, then the le level two is the hands-on course. Um, so that's what I do as well. And once the hands-on course is done, you will have, you know, dentists will have a lot of confidence in doing treatment. And if there are dentists who are like me, who, you know, don't have, they need someone next to, sitting next to them for that, that very first case, then I'm doing one-to-one uh, -one mentoring as well. So I would go to their practice and make sure wow. that when they're doing their full mouth reconstruction, anterior and posterior reconstruction, I'm there sitting nursing for them so that they get the, confidence there because once you do the first case then everything else becomes easy because you've gone through that process and you feel a bit more comfortable so some people just need that you know just a little bit extra nudge but pathway is basically at the end of this pathway either some people do online course and they'll be able to do full mouth reconstruction some people might need hands-on and some might need one-to-one -one. but at the end of the pathway everyone should be able to do full mouth reconstruction adhesive using composite so that's the aim and that's the message I want to spread to all the GDPs because by doing that, we're actually serving our community better. We're making sure our patients are better treated because I see a lot of colleagues, A, missing because if you're not doing the treatment, like you will see in practices where one dentist is doing Invisalign cases like 10, 20, the other dentist is not doing any Invisalign cases. And you're thinking the patients are the same and you know, it's the same practice. It's because that person is mm -hmm. doing Invisalign and is seeing more. So if you're doing full mouth reconstruction, mm -hmm. you'll start seeing the patient because before that you mm -hmm. probably didn't look at it properly. It's like buying a car, right? So if you buy a car, you start seeing the same car a lot on the road. It's the same thing. But yeah, it so all, if, you, it all if you follow me on Instagram. And, and I just want to say that is amazing. Yeah, if you follow me on Instagram at Dr. Underscore Devan Patel or Facebook Dr. Devan Patel or go to my website, which is www drdevanpatel.com and or reach out to me and if you have any cases i'm more than happy to help you guys 
Dev is one of these really uh, helpful guys, always got time for you. Uh, so thanks so much for, for being so giving to our community. And I just want to just say, when I saw you uh, in, in Edinburgh at BACD, we were talking about this. Uh, and we were talking about how uh, in the implant world, they have such good pathways uh, and good protocols with ITI. And mentorship is such a huge part of learning implants, right? Whereas when we find that when it comes to um, this type of dentistry, unless you do a taught postgraduate master's degree, you don't really get that opportunity of someone coming to your practice and, 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 and doing that, which is absurd because when we're charging the amounts we're charging for full mouth rehab compared to you know one or two implants, it, they're, they're fairly comparable. So to have that uh, ability for you know, level three in your case, for, for those who need it, I think that's fantastic. And I think this is the future. I know the future is online as well. And I, and I love, I'm a huge fan of online education, but I think it's great to have that option of having um, over-the-shoulder learning, which I think, uh, to this day, is the most powerful way to learn. My most powerful learning experiences have happened when I'm shadowing someone or someone's shadowing me, and I, I see how much they're gaining, and I think that's what you're providing. So uh, kudos to you, uh, Dev. Thank you so much for giving your time over the three episodes. It's been most enjoyable speaking to you, uh, and I'll put all the websites up, uh, and anything that you send me in terms of photos, PDFs, whatever, I'm going to stick it all on the blog post, uh, and then hopefully people can, can log onto your website, see all the different uh, uh, stuff you have, and to follow you on social media so they can uh, check out all these cases and all the tips that you share. Uh, I really appreciate you, you coming on, Dev. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Yes, Thank you very much. And there we have it, guys. Thank you for listening all the way to the end. Dev was spitting fire, as they say, right? It was absolutely phenomenal. It's kind of like one of those episodes where you could not do multitasking, right? You could not do multitasking. If you're chopping onions, you probably chop your fingers, right? So it's one of those episodes. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. hope you found value from it. You may have to listen to it again, and maybe a third time, just to cement it, uh, cement the ideas, the bigger picture thinking uh, into your head. So I hope you enjoyed that. Please do join Full Mouth Reconstruction for GDPs. This is Devang's little baby, little group on Facebook, which is just um, some loving seeing posts from other dentists and, and Dev sharing his workflows. Lots, lots, lots of great content on there. So do join Full Mouth Reconstruction for GDPs. I'll put a link in the show notes. And of course, if you want to learn more from Devang Patel, there's so many courses that he does, got like little mini courses. So if you liked his style of education, you should definitely check out his courses, especially when it comes to Full Mouth Rehab stuff. He's got courses on that uh, and I'm going to put his website. I'll put it down below for those watching on YouTube and I'll uh, read it out for those who are driving and then sort of making a mental bookmark for later. And of course, I'll put it in the show notes so you can click onto it easily. It's drdevangpatel.com forward slash courses dash hub. So essentially, if you go to his website, drdevangpatel.com, you'll find the courses section and you can check out all of the amazing courses he's got on there. Deb, I know you're listening to this one. Thank you so much, my friend, for, for making this three-part series. It's been absolutely epic. I'm sure everyone's going to agree. Uh, and what you've given to the Petrusrati is amazing. So please, guys, show your support. Join this course. If you want to learn further, if you want to enhance your full mouth thinking, uh, check out Deb's course. Thanks so much, Deb. And thank you for listening all the way to the end. <laughs>